Carol, are your leaves starting to fall? Yes, they are starting to fall. I think we just are a few days past peak color in the woods around here, but there's a lot of pretty views and vistas still. But yes, leaves are falling. Well, leaves are starting to fall here, but we haven't really turned, but we will after this cold front that came through today. So I can tell it's starting to change. The weather's starting to change. Definitely. Well, let's get on to this episode. We can talk more about that in a little bit. Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Dean Ash from Guthrie, Oklahoma, where I garden one and a half acres out of seven and a half in the country. And I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana. I have a suburban garden measured in square feet. It's about a third of an acre. We call ourselves Garden Angelus because we are evangelists for gardening. We love gardening and we want you to love it too. Yes, we do. And we aren't afraid to spill the beans and tell all of our gardening secrets, the good, the bad, and even the ugly. But that's enough of who, what, when, where. Let's move on to this week's episode. Hello, Dee. Hello, Carol. How does your garden grow? It's still growing, I assume. It is sort of. It is still sort of growing. I did mow and trim this past week. I did a little bit of weeding one afternoon and a little tiny bit of cutting back, not much. I also have moved my microgreen setup. We'll talk more about this later into my breakfast area so I can keep a closer eye on them. Mm-hmm. And I got the first of several quotes I'm getting for doing some tree trimming around here. Trees do need to be trimmed to be kept in good shape. So cool. And then I actually planted all of my plants I purchased. A I moment of my... applause, a moment of applause. Well, I have to be honest. I still have garlic. I still have garlic. Quiet and down, audience. Quiet down. Anyway, I planted everything else. I'll get that garlic in. Let's see. I planted my fall pots just in time for the freeze, which was way too late. And I'm trying now to decide, and I want to know what you think, because I have crotons in there and I have a pepper. And then everything else is cold hardy. Okay. So I'm trying to decide, do I simply cover my pots with landscaper bags? Because maybe that'll be enough. I mean, I could put some fairy lights in there to try to heat it up a little bit more and get the bag all the way down to the ground. That's one option. I could bring just the crotons and the peppers indoors for a couple of days because it's supposed to be warm again after that. Warmish, right? Warm enough. Yep. Or I can say, hasta la vista, baby, and just let it go. Well, I'm normally of the hasta la vista, baby school, which is when it's over, it's over. They haven't been out there long. Let me think about that. When we get to yeah. the garden commissions, let's talk about what you're going to do. I'll have to think about it. Sounds good. All right. So let's play favorites. What's your favorite this week? My favorite is that doggone Amsonia, which is the common name is Dogbane. It is so pretty in the fall. Oh, it's such a wonderful yellow color. And I looked out there and I will send you a picture for the newsletter. It looks marvelous. Okay. And so that whole bother of cutting off those seed heads and all that sap everywhere. It gets forgiven that in the fall. So Mm -hmm. that's my favorite right now. And see here, it doesn't even recede. Neither one of them. Oh, it would be everywhere. Neither the thread leaf or the regular. That is so funny because I've never seen a seedling here of either one of them. I think it's because I mulch more than you do. That could be. That could be. Or who knows? I just dare not let it go to seed. Climates. I don't know. Dare not let it go to seed. (laughs) 
So for me right now, my Amsonia hasn't turned, but it will turn after this cold front. For right now, it's the mums like Sheffield Pink, Clara Curtis, a white one I can't remember the name of, and Ryan's Pink. And it made me realize that I want to replace Will's Wonderful because it eventually got crowded out, kind of shaded out by other things. Yep, And I'm trying to think of a place I could put it because it is a really beautiful mum and it attracts lots and lots of butterflies. But they all do because they're all those open face mums that attract everything. And I actually did a little Instagram on, on Sheffield Pink, which is also called, let's see, Sheffield Hillside Pink and Sheffield. There's also a Sheffield kind of yellow out there. So I think they're trying to, you know, differentiate, but who cares really? Who cares really? I'm going to go ahead and do a quote and get us into our flower topic. It's a poem called A Garden Is. A garden is a lovely place where seeds burst through the sod. A garden is a partnership between two hands and God. A garden is a restful place where gentle breezes blow. A family of growing things where souls can also grow. And that is William Arthur Ward. I looked him up and he is a American motivational speaker and worked for some universities, mainly Christian publications. D, he got his mm-hmm. master's degree from Oklahoma State. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. And what was his, do we know what his master's degree was in? No, but he died in 1994. Oh. Well, there you go. I'm, I'm glad that. You know, he had wrote such a lovely little poem. So for our flower topic, because I went to Blooming Vintage OK, which she has a she has an Instagram, but and everybody locally knew about her except for me until I started following her. And she lives right up the street from me. She had the most beautiful vintage items and a lot of gardening vintage items. And so that made us come up with this topic, which is vintage items. And why would you add vintage items to your garden? It was also because that guy on Gardener's World, the guy who was hearing impaired. Yes. He was amazing. On episode 30. Yes. And he was so unbelievably good at blending vintage items into his garden and making it look amazing. But he was also a florist. Oh, yeah. That last little bit where I was like, oh, and by the way, I'm, he's a florist. And oh, by the way, that flower arrangement that he showed was just gorgeous. Your cat just jumped up there behind you. Yeah, I see her. She want, she'll probably want me to hold her in a minute because anyway, you know, I'm doing something else. Anyway, he was fascinating. He liked to use vintage doors. Oh, yeah. Vintage watering cans. I could, you cannot believe it. Well, this lady, her name is Ruth. She also is very, very good at putting together vignettes. And I'll put one in our newsletter this week about a picture of one of the vignettes she did in her sweet little greenhouse. And she actually gave me the idea to take little watering cans and put them on a shelf in my greenhouse. Because I'm actually letting go of that giant orange tree. So I don't have to put it in there anymore. Okay, Yay. Dee, I just like to pause for a moment. We have talked about that giant orange tree all year, and you keep saying you're going to get rid of it, and yet it's still there. I think it's still here, but it's going to die in the freeze. Tonight. I think you're having issues with letting it go. No, I'm having issues with the fact that it's so big. I can't the trash can. And I tried to get Bill to take it to the office because I knew some of our people that work for us because they love tropical plants and they are very good at growing them. 
I thought they would take it and Bill, Bill keeps forgetting to take it. So it's sayonara to it tonight or tomorrow night because we're going to be freezing and it won't like it. All right. Too bad. So I think last week we mentioned I have some vintage lawn sprinklers and I'll send you a picture you can include in the newsletter or not include in the newsletter. But I, I don't know. I end up with a lot of vintage. So do you display them? They're just on display. They're on display. And are they all metal and green? Because They're all metal. They're kind of a rusty brown vintage color. So they've lost their patina. I mean, they've developed patina instead. They've lost their patina a long time ago. You started to say you have quite a few vintage things. So do I. But. I God. I have a display of watering cans in a above another thing in the living room big cabinet that used to be housed the tv and then we got away from those and now it houses blankets and stuff but on top there's a bunch of metal watering cans and i will say that many of them are not vintage they're just like cute kind of things one of the ones i bought at this deal was it just had a heart-shaped spout and i'm sure it was from the 70s but i hate to tell you that's becoming vintage you know, people, I mean, that just kind of it's makes 50, my head hurt. It's 50 um, years ago. <laughs> and I'm just like, my joints start to ache. And I think, how can the 70s be 50 years ago? Oh, Which they are. <laughs> we were saying many of the things that you and I have that mm-hmm. we bought originally as new suddenly show up as vintage. What is up with that? Yeah, my spode. My spode blue and white china. Well, it's not china because it's spode, but whatever. It is definitely vintage now. Okay, so let's talk about using vintage items in the garden. And this is something that you kind of worked on, which was how to use them to greater effect. Well, you group them instead of spreading them out. Definitely. One of the cutest things I ever saw, and I took a picture of it, and I think it might be even in one of my talks, was in a garden that was in Portland. And they had used large, you know, the large galvanized watering cans up some steps to the back door. And they put sunflowers, dried sunflowers in there. It was adorable. So that's a good way, you know, use them together. Take them inside in the wintertime. Yes, those galvanized cans, if you leave them outside, they eventually rot. They become all that vintage stuff. If you, you know, there's all kinds of things you could have, but they do not belong outside in the winter, especially in Indiana. I mean, they don't belong outside here either, but sometimes they get left out. Okay. And so use holes for drainage if you're going to plant in them. That's just true of anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then oh, we talked about watering cans are lovely. I already said that one. And oh, we once saw where some people put plant tags in theirs of all the plants they killed. And they actually put it on a table. And it was like at this like the centerpiece of the table. And it said to all the plants I've killed before, because it was a play on that song. That made me laugh. And so Oh, and then you wrote, oh, you. I'm not saying that. You have to write. You have to I, I'm it. not saying it. Let's just leave that a mystery. I did want to say another thing about the vintage stuff. Yes. So I have, and this is, it almost seems sacrilegious, but I have my grandmother's cast iron bean pot as a vintage item that just sits on the patio. Mm-hmm. It's rusted all ways to Sunday. And I think she used to make food for the family in that. Now I just have it sitting out on the patio. Oh, but I do but think about her every time I see it. So that's good. There you go. So I think that's okay. I have my grandmother's pickle crock. Do you think I make pickles? No. I mean, if I'm going to make pickles, I'm definitely not going to put them in a pickle crock and, you know, change out the water and do all the stuff they did. We have refrigeration. Refrigeration is a wonderful thing. One it of the things beautiful. you were going to ask me was about flowers. Yeah. So here's my question for you. 
if you're going to have a bunch of vintage stuff in a garden and you do need to do it well, because not done well, it just looks like a junkyard. Should you have vintage flowers to go with your vintage items? I mean, you can have grandmother's favorites, but what about modern flowers in vintage colors? Yeah, they they are going they are going throwback on those colors. And they so are. let me be the first to say zinnias are coming out in those muted vintage colors, getting away from the really bright I've primary got color. Some packets of them for next year oh, that I'm yes, going to play you with. Do. I do. I cannot wait because I bought all those ones from zinnias.com or zinnias.com. Whichever way you want to pronounce it. Ooh, I see a plant out there that I need to take cuttings of, but that's another story for another day. If I don't do All it right. soon, there will be no plants out there to take cuttings of. The other thing I have vintage of, and right now they're just in a in a container in the garden, in the garden, in the garage. Mm-hmm. People kept giving me old hoes for my hose. Yeah, collection. and you had a whole wall of them at one time. You took a picture of it. And it was a card you carried around. Yeah, yeah, I had lined them up against the fence years and years ago mm-hmm. and took a picture and would show that to people. But I don't know what I'm going to do with those. And I did figure out once when I went to the state fair that there is a vintage tool collectors club or something. Yeah. I think I'd give those away. I was like, Oh, I need to find these people and say, Hey, who wants these old hoes? Cause I, yeah, because somebody done. will. Yeah. Somebody will want them. Several somebodies and you never use hose. Really, because no. your garden is the size of it. You don't need hose. And truthfully, hose can be kind of, well, especially the old ones are pretty inefficient. Oh, and they that are. was the other thing we were going we to say is that when you collect old tools, which we both do, you want to display them somewhere inside and you don't really want to use them because they just aren't very efficient. We have much better tools now. Yeah, I have a wooden box that was made out of barn wood that's sitting on my fireplace hearth and yeah. it's full of vintage hand tools for gardening yeah mine mine are hanging in my little green she shed that's a good place for it i wish i had a little she shed well where the wasps you know enjoy them because right now we have wasps in there but soon they will be dead too yay so what else do you want to say about vintage in the garden i think it's important unless you're a modernist or a minimalist yeah i like gardeners are not i like vintage i do too all right Do that quote so we can talk about vegetables. The supreme accomplishment is to blur the line between work and play. Arnold Toynbee. He was born in 1889. He died in 1975. He was an English historian, philosopher of history, author of numerous books, and a professor. And he wrote a 12-volume study of history, which has a theory of the four ages of man. I wonder what age we're in now. Hmm. I I didn't I didn't go down that rabbit hole. I just thought I don't well, that's think kinda... you needed to. That's just interesting. But to be able to blur the line between work and play, I think that is a great thing to do. That's what all gardeners do, don't we? Ultimately, uh, yeah. So for our vegetable, we're going to talk about your favorite thing to do in the winter time, and that is to grow microgreens. But I have a new twist because you have a new book. I bought a new book called The Microgreens Cookbook, A Garden Water Farms Odyssey, How to Grow, Cook, and Eat Microgreens in Appetizers, Salads, and Main Dishes. And this was published in 2017, I believe. You can still get copies of it. It's not out of print or anything. Is it a garden water farms or a good water? You know what? Did I say garden water? You did. And I just want to make sure we had it right I in our notes. S- I meant good water. A good water farms odyssey. So this this 
this group that wrote this, they're from a company or a place called Goodwater Farms, correct? That is that is correct. Okay, good. Good to know. So the book is the first 60 pages is all about how to grow microgreens. And then there's 140 pages of recipes, which I think the book does a good job of broadening your horizons about what you can grow as microgreens. Uh-huh. So I if you want to get into it big time, like I seem to have gotten into it big time, mm-hmm. this this would be a good book to get. So and now do, are they just growing microgreens or do they also grow sprouts? Just microgreens. And we talk about the difference between sprouts and microgreens. Do you want to talk about it? Okay, well, we can talk about it. You know I mean, what they are. Okay. Well, yeah, I do. Okay. So sprouts are eating the whole plant. You're eating the roots too. And that's why it matters with microgreens. You're cutting them off at the surface. And since you cut them off at the surface there, you don't have to worry so much about sterilized potting soil and all of these requirements that you have to worry about if you do sprouts. So my attitude is leave sprouts to the professionals if you want to eat sprouts, but I don't know why particularly you would want to eat sprouts when you have microgreens because microgreens are super easy to grow and fun. And I now want to hear about, first of all, what recipe, I know you must have found one recipe in that book that you want to make. Oh, no, don't put me on the spot like that. I I just, come on. I mean, it's a cookbook. You can come up. Yeah, you can but I, one. I haven't gotten that deep into it. Oh, you haven't? Okay. So Carol's going to report back later, which recipe she might actually want to make with her microgreens since she's got 42 million of them right now. Yeah, I will say the other thing that's very interesting, and it's from 2017, but there were a lot of contributors to the recipes. And Mm -hmm. so in the back, they have all their uh, online information. And so it'll be interesting, since this is six years old, to go and see if some of these people- Any of them still exist? Yeah. Yeah. To see if they still got their websites and stuff. Because websites cost money now. Back in the old they days, did. they did not. No. <laughs> okay, so I wanted I want you to tell about how you, what you have discovered because you've been growing microgreens now consistently for at least three years, right? Yes. So here's what I've discovered. So first of all, we talked last week. You don't need soil that's got fertilizer or moisture uh-uh. retention. So if you can just pot, find pure basic potting soil, that is the best thing. Uh-huh. So. I grow in little five by five containers that have drainage holes. And I bought these from True Leaf Market. And we have an affiliate link for them, just FYI. But I, I put in, and I only put in like a half inch of soil anymore. And I compacted down. And this is how weird I am. D, I made a soil compactor out of a block of wood and a little handle. So I can um, just tamp I don't it think down. that's weird. I have one. Okay. So I made one that's just Bill the size. Made me one. I made one just, just the size for that container. Yeah, and, I made uh, one too after I saw Monty Don had one. I had so I, one. I made that last week. I bought the wood. I bought a decorative piece of wood at Hobby Lobby and a handle, and I put those together. Mine's not fancy. This isn't fancy either. So you need holes in the bottom because it has to drain, and you want to put it in a tray that has no holes because you're going to water from the tray and let it be absorbed in rather than overhead watering, though you can okay. spritz them. And then this is what people are surprised about. You cover them so they don't get light. That allows them to stretch a little bit as they germinate. Then you uncover them and you can put them in a bright window or I have the a little light set up in my breakfast area. You don't need to leave the lights on 24 by 7. In fact, they need a rest period. So, you know, 12, 
12, 16 hours a day with the time you're awake. And then once you see those first true leaves, you know, they'll be two, three, maybe four inches tall, depending on the plant. Start cutting them. Cut them and eat them. And the other thing is don't, don't sow a whole flat at once of all one thing. You'll have way too many microgreens unless you're running a restaurant or right. something like or that. Or a bar. Yeah. Because they use so, them in drinks now too and on desserts. I mean, you see them everywhere. And five we did by five. Whole, we did that whole thing last year about the two guys who created microgreens, basically, yes. and it was an accident. So if I can find that episode, I will link to it in the newsletter because that was a fun that was a fun little video where the guy explained how he accidentally did it. So five by five containers, minor. Yep. I'm trying to think about how big my containers are. They're probably six by four, something like that. Yeah. And, you know, I bought these containers specifically from True Leaf. Yeah. For um, this but, deal. Yeah. But you could buy, you could get any flat that doesn't have holes in it or any tray that doesn't have. And then just as long drill as- them. Well, I'm saying. Well, you're going to drill. Them oh, in. that's right. You do yours in little. Okay, and then you put them in a tray. Yeah, the tray trays needs, don't have holes. Yeah, because you want to be able to water from the bottom and not have water go everywhere. So anyway, that's a professional I, way to do it, or you can do it like I do, which is not professional at all. But I like I like your method, so I'm not telling mine, which is okay. no method at all. So anyway, this is the microgreens cookbook. How to Grow, Cook, and Eat Microgreens in Appetizers, Salads, and Main Dishes by Brendan Davison. And that is that is our vegetable topic. Thanks for letting me talk about microgreens again. Yeah, I sowed them on Monday. Today's Friday. The The fast growers are all up and growing. And I can radishes. see... Who, who else is fast besides the radishes? The, well, I have a basic salad mix, spicy salad mix. The red Russian kale is up already, and what else? What else is there's something else that's fast? Like, oh, basic greens, it's called, which is more of the lettuce, cabbages, and things like oh, that. Cabbages. And then the slow ones are dill. No, oh, so slow. Cilantro slow. slow. Celery slow. Slow. But I did get some more seeds. I'm going to try onions as microgreens. Onions? Oh, the crest. The crest is slow. Why yes. onions? I just think that will be fun to do. I'm going to just try. And they have sunflowers, peas. So there's quite a few. I'm going to try them. Okay. Dee's making faces, people. Dee is making want to faces. I don't sunflowers. I don't, I don't like sunflower sprouts. But All that's right. That's just me. I'm sure you'll enjoy them. Okay. I'm sure I will. So I'm going to do a quote. Do that quote. Stolen moments with a book are never a waste of time. And that is Jamie E. Davis. I could not figure out which Jamie E. Davis it is. She is or he. Or he. It could we be either do not. way. Anyway. So on the bookshelf, I'll read the title, even though I didn't read the book, because I read his old book, Spring Rain, A Life Lived in Gardens by Mark Hamer. And we thought we, I don't know why we decided to do this one, but I've read, so you were going to say the first book was How to Catch a Mole, right? Yep. The second book is Seed to Dust, Life, Nature, and a Country Garden, which I read and you read. And I think yes. we profiled it on here. And now he has this one called Spring Rain. So you're going to talk about it. So Spring Rain, I would say, is definitely more memoir than his other books. He mm-hmm. alternates the chapters. And I just finished it two days ago. He alternates the chapters before between 
reminiscing as a young man, and it's all written in first person. And then the next chapter will be about current day when, you know, he's retired from gardening, his knees are shot, and he is he and his wife are still in the same house they've been in for 30 plus years. Mm, like us. She's writing at the on the third floor and he's writing at the ground floor and he's got a tiny garden that he's planting to be completely doesn't need him, basically. So and then but his his childhood was not as the happiest childhood. I will just say that to people. He refers to his father as angry dog. Well, there you go. So I anyway, had one of those, but whatever. <laughs> well, the interesting thing is I mean, he's just he's just completely not like his father. He's very introspective. He's, he's a very, very introspective, gentle human being. That's what he is. That's what I remember from Seed to Dust and very literary. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. And his parents moved house. I mean, they always rented and they moved houses. So, you know, he moves from the first house where he actually started a little garden with some seeds he found in the garden shed. And mm-hmm. then they moved to the seaside. Then they moved someplace else, but they were constantly moving, trying out new things, I guess. And where does he live? Where does he live now? Today he lives. I know that's a good, very good question. He lives. Sorry. I, didn't I think he lives. Spot. Well, he was, he lives in Wales. Okay. So he lives he in was, Wales, which our friend Leonidas says is the most beautiful part yes. of the UK. I didn't go to, with him to Wales. So. Here's his author bio was born in the north of England and moved to Wales over 30 years ago after spending a period homeless because his dad kicked him out. Then working on the railway, he returned to education and studied fine art. He has worked in art galleries, marketing and graphic design, and he taught creative writing in a prison before becoming a gardener. Previous books, How to Catch a Mole and Seed to Dust, were both indie next picks and shortlisted for the Wainwright Prize. Well, that's impressive. He's a good writer. He's a very good writer. He's very introspective. He's very gentle. I think he would be a good read with a cup of tea next to the fire. Yes. Let me give, I'll give you two quotes. Here's one quote from the book. A gardener learns not to grasp onto changing things, but to let go and embrace whatever happens next. If I could teach that to my clients, that would be huge. We should actually repeat that one next week. Because I mean, bless their hearts. They really want it to be just so imperfect. And I have to explain to him that everybody fails. Okay, keep going. And here's the quote. And this is kind of relates to his father, Angry Dog. We carry our anger, our own irritation, like a hot coal. It hurts us far more than the person or thing we are angry with. Yeah, that's like when you, the part about resentment is a poison that you, let's see, how do you put Resentment is the poison you take to kill someone else. Because if you hold yes. on to resentment, it hurts you. It does that person yes. doesn't even know that you're resentful. Anger is anyway, the same way. I I found this book, Spring Rain, at the independent bookstore south of me. It's about 30 minutes south of me in Franklin, Indiana. That's Wild Geese Bookshop. Yeah, I was gonna say Wild and Geese, right? She has a very curated collection of books in there. And so when I saw that Mark had a new book out, having read his other two, I thought, well, I'll give it a shot. And, and he good. says yeah, it's it's got some nice blurbs on the back from if you like Margaret Renkel, remember Margaret mm, Renkel I books? Do. If you like Margaret, you'll like Mark. I would I do like Mark. I think he's a good writer. I like what you said here, what you wrote down. 
if you want to read more about gardening, read Seed to Dust. But if you want, because it's also a memoir and it takes place over a calendar year in a garden. This is more about his life. Yeah. Kind of reminiscing about his life, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, for some reason, thought he was younger. I didn't realize he was retired. Had bad yeah, news, his, don't we all? The boyhood reminisces. I don't want to give it away, but yeah. Anyway. Okay. Good to know. All right. So want me to do the next quote? Please. I love this quote. It's my favorite. You came up with it. <laughs> well, I didn't come up with it. I didn't create it. She did. No, but you found it. Yes. Nothing in the world is quite as adorably lovely as a robin when he shows off and they are always, nearly always doing it. Francis Hodgson Burnett. Isn't that true? That is true. I mean, robins are always very pleased with themselves. They are very pleased. And we really notice them in the spring because of the spring rains and all that kind of stuff because they're getting, they're eating worms and things. So the thing I found was Emily Lex, and we've talked about her before. She's an artist and she's a Christian artist who also does a lot of nature artistry and she has the cutest thing on instagram where she is painting a robin and it just shows her process and she'll do that every so often and then she also has a newsletter it's a really short little newsletter that she sends out via email and Uh i get it about once a month and she usually gives you a nice quote and a like a picture that she's drawn for your cell phone, if you want to use it as wallpaper. And then she tells you about other things, which is how I ended up in my rabbit hole, which is the next thing we're going to talk about. But anyway, I like Emily. I think she's she's written one book and now she's written a second one. And I think it's just about, no, she's written three books because she also wrote Twirl, which is about, it's a little girl twirling in a skirt. It's really cute. So her third book is coming out and Anyway, this is just fun. And if you're missing Robins, because they're getting ready to kind of go away. Yeah. Do, and I, they stay in Indiana. They, they stay in Oklahoma, but they don't stay in my part of Oklahoma very much. I don't see them much in the wintertime, but they'll come back in the spring and they build nests and, and inconvenient places like very above, above the light uh, next to the yes. back door where I go in and out every day. They're just like house finches. They are yeah. very, they want to be right next to you and right next to the bugs. So they do that sort of thing. We have, we have house finches that go in two spots at our house every year. So then you found an article. Yeah, I found an article because the interesting thing about robins is they're both American and European robins and they're two different yes. birds, but we both English call them robins. robins. They're the same, but they're kind of the same bird, but one's bigger than the other. Yeah, the American robins are bigger than the English robins. Much bigger. I've seen English robins in person when I've been in England in gardens, and they are adorable. I mean, well, we will link robins. We will link to an article that shows the differences. And then, of course, the quote is from Francis Hodgson Burnett. So we have to quote, we have to go back again to. Marta. Unearthing the Secret Garden, the Plants and Places that Inspired Francis Hodgson Burnett by Marta McDowell. Which is one of my favorites of her books because it's about the secret garden and about how Francis loved nature. And there's a and whole section. Befriended a robin. She did because robins are very friendly. It's a wonder they still exist, you know, because bluebirds are also very friendly and they almost were wiped out. So yes. there you All go. Right. Let me do a quote and take us into rabbit holes. 
Don't slide down the rabbit hole. The way down is a breeze, but climbing back's a battle. And that is by Kate Morton, the clockmaker's daughter. Which I have on my shelf and I've still not read it. I've never, I I haven't read it either. Maybe that's I love all of her other books. I have not read that one. So rabbit holes, I'll tell about my rabbit hole because it relates back to Emily. All right. So Emily, Emily Lex always has these little newsletters. And on this one, she linked to a fall platter at Target. It's actually made of that really tough plastic that looks like melamine, but it's plastic. And it's adorable. And I still want it. And I may still get it. And I tried to find it yesterday at Target. It's mushrooms. That's why I want it. It is so precious. And it's by this designer. And she just said, this is a really cool platter. You guys should look at it. I fell in love with it. I talked myself out of it twice. I'm about to talk myself right back into it. I could not find it at the Target I was at yesterday. So I may have to order it if it's still available. Because once people found out that this designer made these, you know. So then that sent me down this rabbit hole. And then I was at Sur La Table because I was buying another salt grinder, which I can link to these salt grinders. They are not expensive, but they're the best because they have a handle that goes back and forth instead of twisting. So if you have arthritic uh-huh. wrists, it doesn't hurt your wrists, which is awesome. Well, I broke mine because if you drop them on a tile floor, they are this really hard plastic and they break. And Bill actually repaired one of them for me. And then this one I broke too badly. So is that Sur La Table? And there's a lady that works there who I just adore in Oklahoma City. She's older than me. And she's just precious. And we end up talking dishes. And they had a baking dish, which I showed to you before we came on. And you said, oh, my gosh, that's beautiful. Right? I did. Because it's not your normal fall baking dish. And I'm going to put my I'm gonna put my cornbread dressing in it for Thanksgiving and use it all year long. Because it is like beautiful flowers from the garden. And they look natural. Right? Yeah, it was beautiful. It's beautiful. And it's got a pattern inside and a pattern outside. So I bought that because it was on sale because right now all the fall stuff is on sale. That's right. Make room for Christmas. So that then started me thinking about vintage dishes and, you know, vintage. I like, I like the fact that they're now creating vintage patterns. Everything's going back to vintage again. Yes. It seems like we're coming out of the minimalist period And now people like these vintage patterns and patterns look more realistic. And we have vintage colors and zinnias and we have, you know, and then you brought up the fact that if you have very old dishes, like some of my flow blue, maybe you should not eat. That's right. Cause some, some of the old dishes have lead in them. And I mean, I have truly vintage, almost antique dishes from both of my grandmothers. I do too. And we never, we ate off of them as kids obviously we, that's what she she used that all the time but and i don't know if there's a way to test the lead content there's a website that tells you which patterns have lead and which yeah, ones so don't. I'll, you I'll should, find it you should definitely check that out before you start eating off really really old dishes so i don't usually eat off very old dishes i mean like i said my my china's from i've got one set of china from the 30s but i know now, it's okay this is this is kind of a weird segue it has nothing to do with my rabbit hole but but I have a very, very old Pyrex that's in a silver-ish stand that my grandmother used to serve green bean casserole for Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And I I look at this thing now and I think, well, that's like two servings full is all. And I'm like, we must yeah. have, we, quote unquote, must have eaten so much less back in the 
time when this came out. This is from probably the 30s or 40s. But now, I mean, people would laugh if you put that out as your green bean casserole for Thanksgiving. It's too tiny. And I, I, yeah. I don't know what to make of that. I'm just, it's just an observation of how small that baking dish is. Well, and also if you have English dishes, including my spode and also my old country roses pattern, they don't really have cereal bowls because people in England don't eat cereal for breakfast. And in fact, people in Europe don't eat cereal for breakfast. It's just Americans and maybe Canadians. I don't know. We do. And that's all, that all goes back way, way back as to why we do that. So the long and short of it is the bowls for English dishware are usually either cream soup, soup, or fruit bowls. So they do not work for, they're too shallow and too small. So while you were talking about your dishes, I looked up about lead and there's a whole lot of information about testing your dishes for lead and which dishes might be more likely to have lead than others. And if you'll notice, like sometimes like if you go to Mexico or some other places, it will say on the actual pot, not safe for food consumption. So, so anyway, you can test your, you can test your dishes for lead. So there you go. There we go. Live on the podcast. We have gone down a rabbit hole. We have gone down a rabbit hole. Now tell about your rabbit hole. So I'm down here. Climbing out is a battle, and I don't know where the week went, but I started off with Doretta Kleber, who Mm -hmm. wrote a rock gardening book, and I got the two books of hers that I ordered, one on primroses, one on rock gardening. And when I was searching books.google.com, this quote pops up by this other author, Elizabeth Sheldon, in her book, Time in the Gardener, which came out, I think, in 2013. So it's now in my to-be-read pile. No, because now she was an octogenarian when she wrote it and she died a few years later. Mm-hmm. So I need to send out a couple of emails to some GardenCom members to see if she was ever a member of GardenCom because I mean, she would have been known. So she all that, been. all that, been. well, what she, she said about Doretta was interesting enough that I thought, well, I want to get that book. And then that book, Time in the Gardeners compared to some of the writings by Catherine S. White. Really? So I I need to read, I need to now read that. And through the whole thing, like as an undercurrent for a totally different reason, I'm trying to figure out what a German cheese plant is. Mm-hmm. And no, it's not a place where they make cheese. It's an actual plant. So I'm going to write a blog post about that because I think I've got it all figured out. But that that's down a couple of rabbit holes again. And I just, it's just insane, Dee. We've, we've got to get control of the situation. Climb out, Carol. Climb out. Let's move on to our garden commissions. What are you going right. to do? So the low temperature on Monday is going to be 27. I think ours is 29. Dun, 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 dun. Over. And so it's kind of rainy right now. It's going to rain this weekend, but I'm going to sweep through the vegetable garden, rain or no rain, pick the last of the peppers and tomatoes out there later today. Mm-hmm. And then as weather permits, I've got to start cleaning up the entire patio. All the furniture and everything has to be shoved to the corner mm-hmm. and a tarp put over, which that takes up an afternoon. And of course, I have tulip bulbs to plant. How about you? Well, I still haven't decided what I'm going to do about my two plants that are out in my pots. And you know what's going to happen? I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to let them go. Because I know myself, I've got to do some cuttings. 
and bring them in because I was just looking at that false penstemon out there and I want some cuttings of it and a couple other plants. I did well, take- now, uh, well, related to that, you talked about covering it and maybe putting some fairy yeah, lights under that. there. L- let me tell you, people, fairy lights today are made with LED bulbs. They they're put off warm. no heat. Don't even bother yeah. because they're not warm enough. Yeah. I think you've made the right decision, D. You would have to use old timey bulbs. You would not be able to use LED lights. Right. But let it go, I think is I think that's the right decision. And then so I've got to take some cuttings of a few things. And I need I've got some stuff planted out there that is like kale and stuff like that. So I've got covers for those and I should put them on it. Yeah. And so anyway, and then we'll have to like turn on the heater and the greenhouse. I can remember the word greenhouse. So I've got a lot to do this week and I've got, I've got to do it all in the next three days. And then, and then I'm basically done. So whatever I get done, I get done. Now I have already taken cuttings of my African blue basil, but what I'm surprised at is I'm just not that interested in taking cuttings this year. I'm more interested in starting seeds in my greenhouse and dragging. Oh, that's another thing I have to do. I have to drag in all my pelargoniums and my two citrus trees I'm keeping, which are both lemon trees, because you know what? I like lemons. I really don't care about oranges. Yes. So now you made me think I've got to take my pelargoniums and drag them into the garage for the winter. And I've got a can of that's sitting out there and it can, it'll be fine for a day or two. And I'll pull that out and Mm -hmm. trim that up. I want to try to save that because it's been a really good one with beautiful Mm -hmm. yellow flowers. So you mentioned, you forgot to mention one thing, Dee. What's that? To bring this thing full circle. You need to plant your garlic, girl. I do. I'll get right on that. That'll probably happen after this is all over with. You know, I'll do it then. All right. Because it overwinters anyway, and it doesn't sprout until spring, so it doesn't matter. All right. Oh, and my tulips, I don't plant them until the end of like the week after Thanksgiving, usually. That's all. Very good. Very good. We want to thank you for listening to The Garden Angelus. I hope you've hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. We publish every week on Wednesdays at 12 a.m. Eastern Time. If you listen to Apple Podcasts, we'd love a five-star review that helps us get noticed by others. Could you also share our podcast with your friends? Word of mouth is still the best way to get the word out there. And be sure and check out our show notes for links for more information about today's topics, plus links to our own websites. And subscribe to our Substack newsletter, The Garden Angelus at Substack.com, also linked to in our show notes. If you do, you'll get a link to listen to the podcast a day early. And if you want to help support us, use those affiliate links. If you buy something after clicking through on them, we are in a small commission and it costs you nothing. Or you can set up a monthly subscription through Buzzsprout or make a one-time donation through PayPal. It was lovely to chat with all of you over the garden gate this week. Bye until next week. Bye, everybody.